Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast. This is Jordan Levine uh, with here with Oscar. Thank you. Um, now, you know, um, Jordan, we've talked about um, housing affordability a lot. At length. Always. <laughs> and, and I want to emphasize again, before we jump into the topic, uh, we are releasing our Housing Affordability Index. Since uh, we are doing our March uh, news release uh, in a week or so, we usually we'll release a quarterly number at the end of after the March release. So look out for the Housing Affordability Index. It should be releasing in about um, a few weeks or so, three, two, three weeks. Yeah, by the end of April, it should be out, which is really um, ties in well with the topic of today, right? Because uh, which is, is rent control, but o- overall housing affordability affects not just the ownership and transaction side of the market, which is where we spend most of our time. Well, I know. Obviously, for obvious reasons, that's where our members work. But uh, but the rental side of the market, I think, is is no picnic. And I think with the upcoming ballot measure in November to do with Costa Hawkins, I think it makes sense for us to spend a little bit of time talking about rents in general and then also you know rent control and, and what that might mean. Absolutely. And of course, rent control is an issue um, because partly because rent has gone up uh, quite significantly um, in the last couple of years. Um, obviously, you know, we talk about rental market. You right. know, when, when we go out to outreaches, we ask, oh, how's the mar- how's, uh, rental market is doing? And everyone says, well, it's, you know, for those who are seeking for uh, a rental unit, it might be a little tough. For those investors or people who own an investment property, it's a good deal. Great time to be in the business. Yeah, like like everything else, it really depends on what side of the, of the transaction, I guess, you're sitting on, right? Absolutely. And just to give out some numbers, I know I'm not going to emphasize too much in numbers, um, but, you know, between 2000 and 2016, average asking rent for California has gone up from 1,012 to 1,977. Wow, so almost doubled. Exactly. And, and, you know, if you just, if, of course, you have to put things in context. Uh, how is that compared to uh, how is asking rent compared to income? Right. Um, if you look at that, you know, uh, as far as if we use a benchmark of 100 for, two, for the year 2000, asking rent has gone up 73%. Wow. But income has only gone up about 36%. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't think we've all seen 70% increases in our wage, unfortunately, over the last 10 years. <laughs> no, I mean, that would be great. You right? know, hey, we can hope. But uh, no, I mean, I think that's that's exactly right. So if we went and did, you know, a similar calculation on the rental side of the market that we do on the ownership side of the market, you would see a very similar trend to what we're reporting in our quarterly HAI, right? That how affordability on the rental side of the market has deteriorated pretty significantly right. over that that period of time and I think that's what really um, you know is driving the the need or not necessarily the need but the perception that 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 the solution then might be to uh, impose broader rent control measures across the state to try and keep those housing costs in check absolutely and so you know it, 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 it kind of I, I it back my, me to ask the questions. Yes, rent has gone up so much. Um, you know, there are a lot of different policies, and rent control has thrown out as one of the policies yeah. that uh, we should implement in California. But my question is, does rent control really help? 
you know, in terms of improving housing affordability. Right. I mean, yeah, that's the the $64,000 question, really. And that's really the, you know, obviously the proponents of this ballot measure, which, you know, I for whatever reason, I can't remember the number, but there's a ballot measure coming up uh -huh. in November, which essentially will repeal Costa Hawkins, which is a uh, a law that we've had in place since the 90s that basically exempts both single-family um, construction uh -huh. as well as or single-family housing units and and also new construction anything that's been built after the mid 90s from being subject to uh, rent control with the idea being that those um, you know that will still provide an incentive for builders to jump into the market or at least not have a disincentive for people who um, maybe don't want to build if there's a prospect of rent control so we're, we're looking to repeal those two measures which means that any uh, city across California would be able to go through and implement uh, more strict rent controls right now I think there's only about 15 cities um, right. small relatively small number of the you know 700 or 600 and whatever um, cities and towns and, and whatever charter cities and things that we have across the state. So right now, very small number, but uh, could have pretty serious implications if it were expanded to both um, all new construction as well as all these single family homes that are now um, largely in investor hands and being rented out as well. That could have uh, pretty significant impacts across the across the spectrum of housing. And, and for me, I think that it's a classic case of um, you know, attacking the symptom of a problem instead of the, the root cause. And in fact, I think when you, in the final analysis, look at rent control, um, you know, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, but I think that, that it might actually make the fundamental root cause of the lack of affordability here uh, actually even worse, right? So it might actually right, not only not help, but might actually exacerbate the problem. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you take a look at rent control, of course, we can take a look at you said, you know, 15 cities in California, roughly about 15 cities in California Currently, have rent yeah. control. Um, if you take a look at a broader picture, um, the state, as a, the, 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 the nation as a whole, only about four or five states are actually and have actually uh, implementation of rent control. Oh, wow. Like New, New York, New Jersey, D.C., California, um, I think Maryland yeah. um, are the states. And, and you, again, you ask the questions, you know, why are so few cities... Uh, or social areas actually uh, implement rent control, and there are reasons. And also, you know, you mentioned about you know it's good, the initiative is going to be on about, and I don't have the numbers, but you can tell me uh, if you can remember. There are probably a couple of times at least that um, people have proposed. Yes, this um, has been up on the on the block before, and it's been shot right. down in the past. And there are reasons, and you know, we have, we both are economists, so sure. we know that from the economist point of view. Anytime you put a price ceiling on something or keep the uh, price down uh, and not let it determine by market uh, force, it's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to create some distortions, if nothing else, right? Even if it goes to helping the intended audience or whatever the case may be, um, there's all these what, you know, in economics we call them externalities, but just basically unforeseen or tangentially related uh, issues that crop up as a result of, of some action you took that wasn't the, the purpose of the action that you took, but all these other problems kind of, you know, spun off. It's kind of like when you, you know, tweak on your car and you mess this around over here and then all of a sudden now your back tire is going you know and it's uh it's an interconnected system i guess is the point of the story yeah definitely i mean for one thing 
you know, when you lower the price, you're going to have, well, it seems like a bargain and then there's a, a shortage of supply because you have a lot of demand, trying to, a lot of people trying to live in that particular city. But then at the same time, you also have a, a shortage of supply because supplier or developers don't necessarily see, you know, the profit of um, uh, building in that city just because the price got uh, suppressed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm putting a, a lot of capital on the line and there's a question mark about whether I might be able to reap the returns on this investment down the road because I'll be capped on how much money I can and charge in terms of rent. And again, I think that uh, for me, you, you know, these rent control debates can be very um, contentious, very emotional. And for me, the the key is to really focus on you know causes and effects and and to really jump into the root cause of these issues rather than um, attacking the symptoms. It's very easy to you know go up against opponents of rent control and characterize them as heartless and things like that. I in no way would you know dismiss the the plight of renters out there. Housing affordability uh -huh. is is pretty brutal across the board. And so for me, it's not to say that, you know, renters aren't suffering or that housing costs really are manageable and this is unnecessary. For me, it's about whether the medicine, um, you know, is is right for, for the sickness, right? And ultimately, right. Um, you know, we have a, a problem with housing costs because we don't build enough um, and we have just a, such a humongous lack of supply. And so for me, when you wonder about how efficacious something like rent control could ever be, you ask, what does it do to solve that fundamental, um, you know, lack of supply? And from my perspective, implementing more broad rent control restrictions um, actually don't add any new supply. In fact, they provide an incentive for even less building than what we're seeing right now. Absolutely. Now, I know we have some numbers to throw out later on in terms of supply. Before we get to the supply issue, which is definitely an effect on the supply side, um, I know we, we both look at some studies, some statistics um, based on studies from uh, the Rutgers report, yep. um, some other reports as well that shows now in order to, well, the effectiveness of rent control. Well, first, let's take a look at you know what that study suggests. Um, that study look at the... Um, the rent-to-income ratio. Now, I'm saying um, rent-to-income ratio may sound a little unfamiliar with people. Abstract, but yeah, but basically it's budget share. How much you actually have to pay in order uh, to uh, in order to live in the units when you're renting. Right. Now uh, they did a study on um, comparing the market without rent control and market with rent control. Right. And uh, yeah, ultimately, I think what they found was that in markets without rent control, people are actually spending less of their income on housing than they do even in places right. with rent control, which is kind of a counterintuitive um, result. But but I think when you dig in, it actually makes some some sense. But I think it definitely doesn't suggest that this uh, this huge windfall of, of savings that people reap as a result of living in a rent controlled city. Absolutely, and the difference is actually uh, not small, small. I mean, when you take a look at individual uh, household income, the, the difference between the market without control and market with control, the market with control actually is about 5 or 6% higher as far as the budget share is concerned. Now, if you look at it uh, uh, um, from a, a slightly different perspective, you would think, well, those areas with market uh, with rent control obviously would be uh, are uh, areas with higher rent. I can understand that, right. but a 
six percent difference that's pretty significant yeah i mean you have to be careful with this there's a chicken and egg thing right are they are they rent controlled and that's what's making them more expensive or were they more expensive and that's why they got the rent control right um you know i think that that's a, a tricky question to suss out but even in terms of growth i think that when you look at you know not just the levels that they're six percent higher i think when you look at changes over time and rent that's not suppressing the growth rate of rents in these in these areas so yes these might be the high cost areas but that uh -huh. doesn't necessarily explain why then they're still growing at such a fast pace right, right. in rents as well and so you know even though santa monica might be much more expensive um you know than than riverside which doesn't have rent control or something like that um you know it's not to say that that santa monica should still be growing at this outrageous clip um just because it it you know it has a rent control if anything you would expect the growth to be more suppressed because those units can't be um, valued higher until they turn over and so uh, yeah I think it's although there's a lot of kind of tricky econometrics gymnastics uh -huh. that you would want to do to really nail down how big that gap is and how much of it is attributable um, to rent control or not I think the fact that these markets are still growing much more quickly um, you know, also is a is a pretty strong indictment against how how well these things are going to work. I think if you're a, one of those persons who can actually get into a rent controlled unit and <laughs> right. save lots of money compared to what you'd pay on the open market, I think you're definitely there's absolutely no doubt you benefit from that. But from a market wide standpoint, in the aggregate, on even an individual city level basis, you just really don't see uh, the the effects that you want to see. And again, it's because it's not addressing root causes. True, very true. I mean, the same thing applies. I mean, when you when we take a look at it, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the the root cost. We'll talk about supply uh, very shortly. I mean, some of these uh, rent control uh, is actually uh, exist in uh, areas like LA and San Francisco um, in Oakland. Those are areas that we're seeing a lot of job uh, growth right. and demand. Yep. So the demand actually increased. Now, if we have rent control, a lot of people actually may not move. People who live in that area may not move. But at the same time, we're continuing to see, you know, the demand uh, increase. So, you know, we definitely have to address that supply issue, which rent control has a negative impact on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're not going to want to build pound for pound the same as you would have uh, if you were, you know, more certain that you'd be able to uh, raise your prices as inflation ticks on. I think, you know, the other thing in the demographic point is, is an important one because I think when you think back to what's the goal of rent control, right? It's like folks want to address the the fact that housing uh, isn't affordable, and and that's totally um, understandable. But I think that when you look at at again what it's going to actually do, you know, it's uh, it's not going to it. You know, the folks who we want to help, those lower income uh -huh. folks, are are the ones that have the most transitory type jobs. I don't think anybody looks at the high cost of housing and says we need to really do something for those folks making <laughs> right. half a million dollars a year. Those guys are the ones who are are really struggling. I think everybody acknowledges this is for for folks who are in the middle and lower income segments who are really struggling um, with the housing costs. Unfortunately, with the way that you know things work, the those are the folks with the most transitory work lives, right? Like those folks making 500 grand a year have pretty stable mm -hmm. income right. streams. They have job security. They can live in one geography, um, you know, versus people who are on the lower end, maybe in working in retail, other service sector type jobs, end up bouncing around from job to job, geography to geography. And every time, even if they manage to get into a rent controlled unit, um, the fact that they change 
units so often because of their changes in life circumstances are happening so much more frequently than at the higher end of the spectrum. What you see is that the folks who are really in those you know, rent controlled units for a long time and able to take advantage of the savings you get from rent control are folks you know, who aren't necessarily that intended audience. Every time those lower income workers vacate a unit, they lose their rent control protection. And so what you see is that you have a lot of folks who aren't necessarily in that income demographic that we're uh -huh. trying to help, but who are sitting there camping out on these um, you know, benefits of, of rent control. And so ultimately you have um, you know, the, the medicine, even if it were the right one, going to the wrong patients, right? So Absolutely. it's not even the folks who, who we're trying to help. And, and I think that's another you know, just distortion of people who are in a position to take advantage of some of these policy, um, you know, changes out there and kind of work the system a little bit. Same way with like tax deductions, right? The more income and sources of income and fancy kinds of ways that you make money, then the more kind of tax loopholes are out there um, for you to jump through as opposed to an individual income earner. And I think you're going to see the same thing happen with rent control where there's going to be people who are much more financially stable, job stable, ge geography stable, who are able to game that rent control system. Whereas those lower income workers who we really wanted to help by addressing housing costs are you know, in no way going to be able to benefit to the same degree because again, they're always moving around. Absolutely. And I think you, know, um, you uh, point out a, a very good uh, point uh, you, you you talked about you know the um, you know uh, people who are in the uh, different price segment or different household income right. segment, um, but if we spin it a little bit differently, we can also look at um, that there is as far as the benefit of rent control is concerned, it also benefit uh, possibly um, people who are a little bit older than. Uh, younger people right and the reason is exactly what you said earlier stability the stability and also the younger folks are most likely the people who move around a little bit so yep. they can't really take advantage of the rent control even if they can secure a property or a renting unit because they they go where the jobs are so they you go where the jobs are your girlfriend kicks you out you get a dog you got to get an apartment that allows dogs there's lots of life changes that are happening in quick succession right. down there too right and yep. between like 25 to 35, 40, yeah, 40 i mean yep. they will be moving around quite a bit so rent control would not necessarily benefit younger households and that's actually um uh, based on a study done by stanford um that's very very uh so you don't have to take like, oscar's word for it yeah we're not just making things up <laughs> now um we 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 mentioned about um you know, supply, and I know we have some statistics. I'm just going to throw one or two uh, statistics out. We know we said you know effectiveness of rent control uh, is not necessary there, but also the the most important part for us that affects um, housing affordability, that affect you know uh, the housing market, is the supply side. Yeah. You know, we we looked at some of the studies uh, uh, that was done earlier. You know, I mentioned earlier about the records report. It mentioned about you know uh, population growth. Uh, they again they compare the rent controlled area versus the uh, areas without rent control, and uh, there's a difference. Yeah. And uh, when we look at the population growth in the rent uh, area without rent control, we saw a uh, an increase of 2.2 units per thousand as far as the building units. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're you're going to build more pound for pound if you can recoup those investments, and that's basically what they found. Right. What, what is it with uh, with markets that do have rent control? It's 1.9. 1.9. Yeah. 
Wow. Now, so now on the surface, it may not seem like a, a significant 2. difference. 2.2 is not that much bigger than 1.9, but that's actually almost 25%. But that's true. If you look at it that way, and this kind of kind of uh, give you the idea that, yeah, rent control, if the idea of rent control is to help housing affordability, it actually hurts a little bit because it's not building enough. Yeah. I mean, if we go from having 2.2 units per thousand, assuming that that's you know, uh, a legitimate mark in terms of where we're building at. I don't know that it is. I'd have to go back and run those numbers again. Uh-huh. But, but I think just even taking the, the relative difference between rent control and not rent control, the, a 25% reduction means that we're going through going going to drop from something like 100,000 housing units a year that we're building right now to like 75,000. Like we're already underbuilding by almost half, right? We need almost 200,000 units. Right every single year. Currently, we're only building 100,000. If these folks who want to build single and multifamily housing aren't going to be able to recruit those investments with inflation as time goes on, uh, you know, and that drops to 75,000, you can imagine what's going to happen to housing affordability, which is already at almost a quarter of Californians or 75% of folks can't afford to purchase the median priced home. And and if we drop down to 75,000 housing units and sustain that, uh, you know, then you can only imagine where that number is going to trend towards. And and I mentioned before that we're already dangerously close to becoming a majority renter state. If we suppress new construction even further, uh, that's only going to accelerate that. I, I, I'm really worried about it. Not because, again, you want to diminish the plight of anybody who's struggling with housing costs. Housing costs are abominable in California right now. The question is, what can we do that's going to actually address that and fix it? Um, and I just don't see rent control as actually doing that. Me neither. I mean, I think uh, you know it still comes down to you know the supply side. Um, in order for people to um, the developers to build more, you just get, have to give them a little bit more incentive. Uh, rent control is just necess- not necessarily a uh, right way to go about doing it. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, again, if you've listened to any of our podcasts over the last two years, I don't care if it was about the stock market or uh, Brexit or whatever. I think if you go back and listen to all of our, we always talk about housing supply. It doesn't yes. matter what topic we're actually talking about for the podcast. We're talking about housing supply because that's the name of the game in California. That's why our housing isn't affordable. That's why our home ownership is low. That's why housing vacancies are low and prices are through the roof. That's why companies are having to locate to other states. It's why people are leaving California for Arizona, Nevada, and Texas, right? These are all, um, you know, housing supply is at the core of all of these issues. And, And so again, Rent control is is potentially admirable in wanting to address this lack of affordability out there, but it's it's the wrong way to go about it. Again, it's it's a classic case of California attacking the symptoms and not causes, right? It's like I'm I'm very sick and I'm gonna fight that by throwing more and more Kleenex at it instead of going out and getting my body healthy and eating the chicken soup and whatever else you have to do. That's California's typical approach, and unfortunately this is is down that same vein. And so hopefully we can refocus on things like SB 827 or things that really boost new supply that will address that fundamental uh, imbalance there versus these, which are are more at best, I think, short run Band-Aid measures and at worst actually um, potentially pretty dangerous for housing supply. Yeah, we'll continue to have this conversation as far as supply. I mean, if if we we have a supply side a little uh, higher than the normal, we wouldn't be focusing on this. So we'll be focusing and continue to emphasize, you know, the supply side. Uh, There might be other 
uh, policies, regulations that will be thrown out there, you know, from time to time. But um, you know, hopefully, with our knowledge, we'll be able to give you some insights on what's going on and uh, provide you uh, from the economist perspective. That's right. Yeah, and the campaign's just ramping up now, so we haven't even seen big, you know, advertising pushes on these ballot measures or anything like that. So I'm sure there's a lot more to come over the course of the next what is it, six or seven months now until the election. And so um, as things develop and to the extent that they do develop, we'll keep you posted. Absolutely. And if you you have any questions regarding uh, rent control or something uh, related to housing market and supply, definitely give us a call or send us an email. And until then, I think we'll, uh, we'll keep you posted and keep crunching numbers here, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Have a good one. Thank you.